0: Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Jeremy Seekings, a visiting professor at Yale in the Ethics, Politics, and Economics Department and the International Affairs Council. Professor Seekings is based at the University of Cape Town in South Africa, where he has a joint appointment as Professor of Political Studies and Sociology. Professor Seekings leads a variety of research projects encompassing both quantitative and qualitative research. These include studies of adolescence, race and class, violence, AIDS and poverty, social policy, and politics. Most of his research concerns South Africa, but he also conducts research in Brazil and the Caribbean and other parts of Africa. Today we'll talk with Professor Seekings about his recent article titled, Deserving Individuals and Groups – The Post-Apartheid State's Justification of the Shape of South Africa's System of Social Assistance. Welcome Professor Seekings.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure.
0: Tell us about the premise of your paper.
1: Well, this paper is a paper looking at the South African welfare system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the South African welfare system is quite distinctive mm-hmm. in, in many ways, uh, which I think makes it interesting to a variety of audiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, welfare systems around the world typically involve some combination of what are called social insurance programs and social assistance programs social insurance programs such as social security in the, in the US mm-hmm. are contributory programs where people become eligible for benefits old age pensions or whatever on the basis of the contributions they're making when they're working. So those are programs that are primarily uh, designed and intended to provide for uh, so financial support for working people when they're unable to work. The other kind of program is social assistance program the social assistance programs, what Americans call welfare,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, are programs which are non-contributory generally, and uh, they are gen- often means-tested, uh, whereby support is given to particular categories of people on the basis that they are considered deserving. Mm-hmm. So the, the poor in America get, fina- get financial assistance for, for, for medical expenses. Uh, there was the AFTC program for, for single mothers. Uh, and in many parts of the world, there are also old age pensions for the, for the elderly which are not linked to their contribution record but are, 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 are their non-contributory right if you like. Now, South Africa is very unusual because South Africa has uh, a very undeveloped contributory system but a very extensive non-contributory system. So it has very limited social insurance but very extensive social assistance. Now, this is a very unusual combination around the world. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, it has all sorts of consequences. Now, the one important consequence is that uh, with social assistance programmes is that who gets them reflects very much who is considered deserving by political elites or by society as a whole, depending on uh, the history. But who, who is considered deserving? What kinds of poor people are considered deserving? And in South Africa, there's been a, a, a big debate about this recently because poverty is very extensive, and many poor people are not in those categories of the deserving poor who have been recognized as deserving in the design of the welfare system the social assistance system so in in my in in this particular paper of mine i was looking at the way in which certain groups of poor south africans are identified as deserving and get covered by the, the social assistance system but other groups of poor south africans don't and i was looking at why the state uh, uh, or how I should say the state justifies this inclusion and exclusion of different kinds of poor people saying some people are poor and other people are not.
0: Okay, so give us an overview of the um, social uh, assistance um, system in South Africa today.
1: Right. So the South African social assistance system really identifies three groups of people as really deserving okay. and these are the groups of people that w- would you'd expect to be considered as deserving in, in 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 many parts of the world, and so South Africa is not uh, unique in in recognizing these groups as distinctive. It's 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 unique in the global South in the extent to which it has it has uh, uh, included these groups in its welfare system. So the first is the elderly. Uh, so South Africa has a, a very generous system by global standards of old age pensions, uh, and my. My paper focused on one aspect of this, mm-hmm. uh, that old age pensions uh, are given to people, to women from the age of, of 60 and men from the age of 65. These are non-contributory. They're means tested. And that means that w- when you apply, you have to show that you don't have mm-hmm. extensive other sources of income or great wealth. In practice, uh, 90% of the elderly get the pension. So it, the means test is really just a way of, of uh, not giving it to retired university professors, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so almost everybody gets the pension, but there is a means test. Uh, but if you satisfy the means test, then uh, you, you, this is a, a pension which you get as a right from 60 or 65 if you're a woman or a man. That's the first part of the welfare, the, the social assistance system. So the elderly, they're considered deserving. The second group we're considered deserving are, are the disabled, right, who are unable to work. Uh, but because they are because they're disabled or, or, or chronically sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in South Africa this has actually become quite a, 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 a political or social hot potato mm-hmm. because large numbers of people have become sick because they are sick with, with stages three or four of AIDS mm-hmm. and, uh, and so a lot of the disability is AIDS related. Uh, so there's the second big category of people in South Africa who are considered deserving are the disabled and the sick. And the third category are children. And in many countries around the world, there is some recognition that uh, that children should society has some responsibility to make sure that children don't grow up in poverty, or at least not in extreme poverty. And in South Africa, there is a system of child, what are called child support grants, and these are grants which are given to the parents of or the guardians Mm -hmm. of. Of children where the, where the families are very poor and the idea is that this will give the, the family the, a sufficient minimum that at least the child will not go to school hungry and uh, will not go to school without any shoes uh, and will have a, a better opportunity in life than if there was no support. So those three groups, the elderly, the disabled and children, are identified as deserving poor. Now there's a lot of poor, poor people who don't fit into those categories of course. Uh, South Africa is very high on and, and, uh, and problems of landlessness. So people don't have access to wages or earnings. Mm-hmm. They don't have access to subsistence, agricultural production. There's uh, so a lot of people who are, who are very poor. Now, some of those people, of course, live with the elderly. They live with a grandmother, or they've got children, or they live with someone who's disabled. So indirectly, they might benefit right. from the welfare system, although they're not considered deserving as individuals. Right. But then there's plenty of, of poor families who have no children of an eligible age for the child support grants, uh, which used to be up to the age of 14, who aren't living with the elderly, or aren't disabled, they just don't have work and they don't have land. Uh, and those those, those people are, are, are overlooked by the welfare system. They're not considered deserving in terms of the design of the welfare system. Uh, and so there's some debate about should the welfare system include some or all of them. Now, my paper focused on on one particular group of, of, of people who were d- excluded, which was men between the ages of 60 and 65. Mm-hmm. So women get the old age pension from the age of 60, but men only got that old age pension from the age of 65. That okay. was just gender discrimination. Uh, and, uh, and this was justified by the, the South African government uh, on a number of, of, of grounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first being that women are generally disadvantaged uh, and the second, that women are more uh, benevolent mm-hmm. in how they use their, their pensions. And if you give a m- money to a grandmother, they're more likely to, to look after, to, to share it with other needy members of their family than if you give it to an elderly man. So there's these two arguments which the state used to justify why it was discriminating in favour of women and against men in this age group 60 to 65. Uh, and I use this as a, as a case study to interrogate the way in which the state was constructing its categories of mm-hmm. who is deserving, how it, how, what kinds of evidence it used to support that, uh, that argument, and what were the, the empirical and uh, conceptual normative flaws I- in, in its argument.
0: Okay, and is there a difference between um, apartheid and post-apartheid in terms of what the state is um, providing?
1: Well, this is, th- this is curious because when you tell people that South Africa has this very distinctive uh, welfare system, which, and and I could maybe give an example of how distinctive it is, So South Africa spends Mm. about three and a half percent of its GDP on these social assistance programs. Now uh, We don't know any other case in the global south which spends more than one and a half or two percent of GDP, so South Africa is spending more than double uh, even places like Brazil, which has now got quite big programmes, or Mauritius and other cases which are recognised as as, as unusual. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it, in global terms, it's a very distinctive welfare system. And most, most people, when we talk about this, most people say, well, this is clearly because of democratisation. And we know that mm, from in all sorts of fields that democratization matters democracy matters mm-hmm. and all sorts of pro-poor reforms are more likely to happen in a democratic than a non-democratic environment uh, but uh, curiously in south africa these reforms uh, uh, did not follow the transition to democracy in 1994. in fact they long preceded it mm. uh, they became more generous in terms of the benefits Uh, after 1994, and they became more extensive, and the the number of beneficiaries has grown. But the the core elements of the welfare system actually go all the way back to the the 1920s, to the 1940s, Mm -hmm. uh, in fact before even apartheid. Uh, So these are very, very well-established elements of the welfare system. Now uh, some of my other work, I've looked at the -hmm. the history of these programmes, uh, and they were typically introduced to benefit uh, white. And what were in South Africa are called coloured people, mm-hmm. uh, in the relatively privileged groups, and they were quite explicitly intended as a vehicle for discrimination. They were intended to raise the living standards of poor white and coloured people above the b- living standards of better-off African people. So this was very much part of the ideology of white supremacy and apartheid. Uh, they, they, the, the governments at the time drew on the, the British model. Which had old age pensions and other forms of support for the poor, but only applied them to the privileged members of the privileged mm-hmm. citizens of, of, of South Africa at the time. Uh, but in the 1940s, mm-hmm. they, uh, many of these programs were deracialized in the extent, to the extent that they were partially extended to African people. Right? Uh, and that, that was a, a, a particular moment, really, in the Second World War in the 1940s when it happened. Uh, and that, uh, really, that that the the system which was put in place then survived all the way through, became much more generous in the later apartheid period, uh, and and is the basis really of this now very unusual welfare system. So it is a, a it's a very long-standing system, mm-hmm. right, which has its origins in a, in a in a in a in a particular sort of moment in time, but where the the, the outcome today was very different to what the mm-hmm. founders actually intended. 80 years ago.
0: What drew you to look at this? Why is this important to study?
1: Well, I I, I looked at this for for two two reasons. The first is that I've done a lot of work on the comparative study of welfare systems in the global south, Uh, uh, and maybe say a bit more about that in a moment. Mm -hmm. But the the other reason is that uh, I was asked to to look at the particular question of, of why men in the 60 to 65 year old category were excluded from the welfare system because uh, a group of men aged 60 to 65 brought a, 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 a court case yeah. against the South African government uh, saying that their dis- exclusion or to put it another way the discrimination against men because women of that age got the pension and the mm. men didn't, this discrimination, this exclusion was not constitutional in terms of the Bill of Rights which is part of the South African constitution. And uh, it was this constitutional court challenge which forced the government to, uh, to articulate much more, in much more detail than it usually would what, how, how it justified who was considered deserving and who was not considered deserving. Now the very strange thing was that the government uh, got into a, a big argument as to why women were deserving, not men, and it could have just said, well, we inherited this from the apartheid state. Mm. Right? Uh, which would have been an answer. But they actually got into a justification saying that women were disadvantaged relative to men. Uh, and uh, the lawyers for the men in the case asked, uh, you know, could I comment on this case? And so I was an expert witness mm-hmm. in, in this constitutional court case. And, and I was able to show that, uh, that most men who satisfied the means test uh, were in fact highly disadvantaged. Because if, if, if they'd been adv- advantaged in their lives, if they'd been people who had had regular employment, uh, they would have had savings, they would have had all sorts of other sources of income, which would meant that they would have been lifted above the minimum income for for, for for the old age pension. So I was able to show that what was happening was that really disadvantaged men were being excluded from the welfare system. And these were men who Probably had you know, they dropped out of school at the age of 12 or 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had spent part of their, a large part of their working lives in deep underground gold mines. They'd, got, uh, they'd probably got, uh, you know, the health was probably impaired. Uh, they probably had spent, you know, 15, 20 years unemployed. They had no other source of income. They had no skills other than deep level mining, and there was no demand for those skills from, from 60 year old men. These men who were in many ways really very disadvantaged. Uh, and I was able to show. that that it was these kinds of people who were being excluded by the government's definition of the deserving poor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, and as a consequence of this court case, the government in fact uh, reformed the system and now they've reduced the uh, age of eligibility for men from 65 to 60, so that men and women are eligible for the old age pension from the age of 60, uh, subject to satisfying the means test. Okay. So, so it, has, it has real practical consequences yes. now that there are, you know, there are men in South Africa who are, get the pension and are not poor, right. not living in poverty, who without this reform would not have been would not have had this, this source of income yep. and had to wait another five years.
0: Well, yeah, that's wonderful. So let's talk about how you became to be an expert with witness and how you gathered the data um, you know, that you brought. Right. So,
1: so the, the government's case was based very much around, around using empirical data to mm-hmm. show that men and women were differentially advantaged and disadvantaged, that women enjoyed more disadvantages than men. Uh, and they were able to do that fairly easily using survey data which showed that on, on average women get slightly less education than men, uh, uh, that they have, less imp- they have fewer employment mm-hmm. opportunities and so on. Now I was able to use very much the same kind of data, data from household surveys, from labour force surveys, uh, and now there's very good survey data of this sort in South Africa, as in many places, to show that sure that there are m- some men who who have uh, uh, have really have s- obvious advantages, mm-hmm. but those are typically the men who are still working in the early sixties and wouldn't be claiming the pension anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? But that there's plenty of men who actually are are you know have share many most of the disadvantages experienced by women uh, in economic terms. Uh, and I was able to show that these were the people who were really being excluded by this, by this uh, construction of the deserving mm. poor. So I was using survey okay. data okay. Uh, to, to link it to uh, kind of the, this very practical policy question. Right,
0: okay. What um, did you identify as the weaknesses in the state's um, framework for their argument? Well, the state,
1: the state says, uh, that m- the state argued that it was justified to exclude men of a certain age mm-hmm. but to include women on the basis of of the of a comparison of the the mean okay. uh, education the mean employment record, the mean uh, of a number of of economic characteristics for men compared to women and I was able to show that in fact, just looking at the means looking at the average for men the average for women isn 't very useful when you have considerable diversity, considerable variation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in fact, what you really want to look at is, you know, what are the advantages and disadvantages of different men and different women? And I was able to show that the state had had really had overlooked the disadvantages experienced by large numbers of men. Not Mm -hmm. all men, but large numbers of men in the way that they had constructed their empirical the empirical arguments. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's it's also an example of, of really the the, the 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 how one should go about using survey data, mm-hmm. for example, for uh, for scholarly purposes. And this is policy oriented scholarly work. Mm-hmm. But it's it's clearly very important to look at the distribution of uh, advantage and disadvantage, and not simply just look at you know average or mean values. Sure.
0: Okay. Um, why is this of intellectual interest in the comparative study of social policy across the world, do you think?
1: Well, most, most of my work on welfare is, is comparative, uh, looking at the global south. Um, and uh, South Africa, I think, has, has two important uh, lessons mm-hmm. for the global study of, of, of social welfare. Uh, and these are really both linked to its distinctiveness that, uh, as I said, uh, the, the most welfare systems involve some combination of contributory systems and non-contributory systems. Mm-hmm. Social insurance on the one hand and social assistance on the other. In the Global South, most countries through the second half of the 20th century developed welfare systems which focused almost entirely on the contributory side. So these are systems that involve pensions or health insurance, very occasionally unemployment insurance, certainly pensions and health insurance for workers who were in formal employment, such that when they retired or if they were sick, they would be covered. Right. So most countries in the South uh, developed contributory systems which were workerist, in the sense that they were oriented towards workers in the formal sector. And South Africa is very different. In South Africa it had its underdeveloped insurance system, mm-hmm. but a very highly developed assistance system, which wasn't aimed at workers primarily, but was aimed at non-workers, the elderly, the poor elderly, children, the disabled, and so on. Uh, so it was a very different model to the general model in, in the Global South. Mm-hmm. Now this is important for two reasons, and the first is that uh, the fact that we have cases like South Africa reminds us that there were, uh, there were throughout the 20th century, choices that uh, governments made colonial governments post-colonial governments made about the design of their welfare system it wasn't as if that the standard what i call workerist choice in other words a welfare system focused on really urban industrial workers right that was not the only option right there were other options and south africa had in fact gone down a different route mm-hmm. and in my other research i've looked at other examples of countries or cases which went down a similar route some countries in the caribbean uh, Mauritius, for example, mm-hmm. uh, well, and Mauritius. Mauritius is not in the Caribbean. Uh, but uh, there's a number of other British colonies, mostly British colonies, which went down the, s- the South African route mm-hmm. of this focus on non-contributory uh, welfare programs. Now, the, if, we look at, if we look at South Africa and these other cases in a global context, we have to ask, well, why, why, why did they happen? Mm-hmm. And why were, they, why, did they, why were there not more cases of this sort? And a lot of my comparative work was focused on trying to understand both why, why, why we have these exceptions and why that they were unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've looked, done a lot of work looking at the dif- diffusion of ideas around welfare in the early and the mid-20th century and the particular combinations of conditions which, which result in, in workerist mm-hmm. or uh, more social assistance type programs being implemented in different systems. So that's the one reason. It's mm-hmm. a kind of historical reason to explain why do different countries go down different paths in terms of the design of welfare policy, or, or, and this would be true of other areas mm-hmm. of public policy as well. The second reason why it's important is that in the last 20 years, there's been a huge upsurge of interest in the kinds of programs that South Africa has had on the books for, for a long time. Uh, So, much of the enthusiasm around uh, social policy reform in the global south is around programmes such as the uh, Bolsa Família, which is uh, a cash transfer system. It's a a non-contributory system to Mm -hmm. families for children in Brazil. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, 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 there are many cases of of what the World Bank calls conditional Mm -hmm. cash transfers of this sort, where the Brazilian case is replicated. Uh, there's also growing numbers of cases of where countries implement non-contributory pensions for the elderly in, on the South African lines. So there, there is this great upsurge of interest in this model, which wasn't very common for most of the second half of the 20th century, but in the 1990s and early 2000s has become much more common. So looking at a South African case can give us a lot more uh, understanding of you know, what kinds of conditions... This reduces poverty or has particular consequences for particular groups of people. Mm -hmm. So in very practical terms, we can learn quite a lot from studying the the South African case precisely because it's now become a bit of uh, an unexpected uh, role model Mm -hmm. Uh, across many other parts of the world. And
0: why has it become such a role model? Why the transition?
1: Well, it, it hasn't become a role model because people study South Africa, curiously. Uh, I mean, it's 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 an accidental world model. Okay. Uh, it wasn't the case that as people, policymakers, scholars, and other parts mm-hmm. of the world looked at South Africa and said, "Wow, now here's an exciting program. Why don't we copy it?" Uh, in fact, it, it, the, the, the developments in Brazil and Mexico yeah. and other places, uh, which have which have been the recent pioneers in this kind of welfare reform, uh, have generally had their own particular internal internal reasons as to why they why they went this route, Uh, often uh, without much knowledge of the South African case. Uh, uh, One reason why the South African case is not well known is that uh, the major vehicle for knowledge about welfare systems around the world for the last 50 years has been the International Labour Organization in Mm -hmm. Geneva, the ILO. The ILO collates and disseminates uh, much of the information policymakers use for uh, f- when they're rethinking their, their social policies. And the World Bank does the same thing uh, uh, increasingly as well. Now, the ILO expelled South Africa uh, in the 1960s because of apartheid. Mm-hmm. That Because South Africa had the apartheid system discriminated against black mm-hmm. workers, the ILO said you know, there's no place in the ILO for, for apartheid South Africa. So it was thrown out of the ILO, and the ILO stopped including data on South Africa in all of its... In oh all boy. of its uh, um, data, data mm-hmm. sets, and reports, so right up until the mid 1990s, when apartheid ended, South Africa was right outside right. the the normal, uh, uh, the, the right outside the, the world which policymakers were drawing on when they were designing experiments. Mm-hmm. It was only at the very end of the 1990s, really in the last ten years, that people have begun to say wow, if we want to know what happens if we give the elderly, old age pensions, we can learn from the South African case because they've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right? But uh, Brazilians, Mexicans, uh, many other places introduced, they introduced reforms before people had realized that there was in fact this role model to learn from. Hmm,
0: interesting. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing some of your work.
1: Well, thank you very much, it's okay. been a pleasure.
0: For more information about Professor Seekings and his work, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.